0: That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By. Powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation! Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up? And welcome to. Another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to a collection of losses. A three-game losing streak for only the second time this season for the Denver Nuggets. And at the time of recording, which is Tuesday morning, March 14th, between 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning here, uh, so you're not going to hear it uh, live. Um, and and I'm, I'm laying that out because we're just a few hours away from uh, the Denver Nuggets going on the road for the first of a five-game road trip uh, starting in Toronto And that will go on to Detroit, New York, and Brooklyn, and Washington before coming back home for a pair of really tough games. And we'll talk about that uh, on on the very back stretch of this podcast. Uh, First of all, thanks for being here. Um, I'm referencing the timestamp because at the time that I'm recording this, we're a couple days removed from the last Nuggets game, the Sunday afternoon matinee against Brooklyn at Ball Arena, uh, and just a few hours away from the game in Toronto. And I'm not going to um, get hyper-focused on the um, inner workings of the games themselves. Like, I'm not going to talk about um, a ton of plays uh, in the game against Brooklyn or San Antonio from the previous Friday, for that matter. Um, But more here as we uh, um, embark on this five-game road trip, Uh, some of my concerns right now for the Nuggets, and guys... If you just allow me today, like typically, you know, through the years we've come on here, um, I've tried to find the balance of reacting in real time to games that matter with also acknowledging the marathon nature of an NBA season. And so we're seeing real things that are, I'm seeing real things that are concerning uh, with the Denver Nuggets that's right in front of me, that, that, that are right in front of my face, but also acknowledging that this is the first place team in the Western Conference with a uh, a four-and-a-half, five-game cushion, and both of these things are true, but one of those things unto themselves doesn't doesn't nullify the other, all right? And I hope that makes sense. So, uh, again, the Nuggets have put themselves in a position of luxury, okay, but at the same time, Um, their grip on that number one seed isn't what it was even a week ago. And we need to talk about some of the issues uh, that that matter more than the three-game losing streak uh, itself. OK, even if some of those things are creating what happened or uh, creating that lo- or have a heavy hand in that losing streak. Anyway, um, you have three, three lo- uh, uh, losses in a row that I think um, two of them were embarrassing. The first two, the loss against the Chicago Bulls at home uh, uh, last Wednesday was totally inexcusable. The team had no spirit, had no uh, a competitive pride, and they got beat like an absolute drum at home to a. A below average Chicago Bulls team who hasn't played a game that mattered in a couple months, okay, on your home floor, not ideal. Then you go to San Antonio. In a response game following that Bulls loss, they are a franchise and an organization that is all pulling from the same end of the rope. And that same end of the rope is we are trying to suck as hard. As possible to put ourselves in the Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson sweepstakes. Okay, never thought San Antonio would do there, do that, or go there, and and here we are, guys. They got beat by a team who's not only trying to lose this season. But I thought in the most literal sense, trying to lose that game. They were trying to avoid winning. They were playing a guy in the fourth quarter that hadn't checked in, who's on like a two-way, who has no business being on the floor of a fourth quarter of an NBA game, and by their actions, it looked like San Antonio was trying to sabotage their own efforts. And that's just how they're how they're rocking right now as an organization, whatever. But even in the midst of, of that of that like framing, the nuggets still Still lost that game, okay, on Friday, March 10th, and then you, then you, that now now you're riding like a a, a little two-game losing streak, and you're hosting Brooklyn at home, where you're the best home team in the league, and you got beat. And there's a there's a a couple different reasons to how that loss developed into that two-point loss uh, that it did. But you're now looking at, and Brooklyn's a good basketball team. Like I like a lot of the pieces that Brooklyn has. Okay, just because, and and Michael Malone actually talked about this after the game. I'm not, I'm not uh, reducing uh, the Nuggets' struggles down to that loss against the Nets. They are, uh, they have a, a unique build, a lot of wings, a lot of length, um, and they have good players. Like they have good, they have good basketball players. Um, that that in part made that KD deal work right Um, and I think that they're well coached but they still should have won that basketball game now let's just move past the 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 games themselves okay you have these three embarrassing uh, losses in a row for each of their own reasons okay The, the the Nets lost less embarrassing but still you're at home in a game you're trying to avoid a losing streak here the Jokic triple double you know directly leading to wins that that stretch, which is one of the longest in NBA history, that's officially snapped, okay? Despite Yoke going for 35, 20, and 11, which is just an insane stat line. He was dominant. But that's almost why it's concerning. That you had the MVP of the league at home played nearly 40 minutes, guys, and goes for one of the biggest triple-doubles of the season in your own arena, and you you still lost, okay? But there's a reason why that happened, and there's two of them in particular, and they have to do with half of Denver's core four or two-thirds of their quote-unquote big three. This is the overarching theme that I think will be lasting, okay? Because if, if the Nuggets go on and win the next three in a row, we're not going to be uh, retroactively like dwelling about what happened in the first and second week of March. That's just not how it's going to go. But an overarching theme that is going to last is the same one that we've been talking about for two and a half seasons, and that is the health of Jamal Murray. Who once again did not play in the fourth quarter of this game, not because of an elbow, not because of a sprained uh, a thumb or, or or a hand or a shoulder, it's it's the knee again, and you can just pick one at this point, right? This time it was the left knee. It looked like he had the ice on the interior. I just take that for what it is, guys. We're going into the the the, the, the postseason is going to begin in three to four weeks from now. Okay. And the prospect of heading into the third postseason in a row without a Jamal Murray that is healthy is deeply disturbing. The amount of time that Murray took to come back from this uh, event, okay. It was um, jarring to some. I was in support of it because with an investment that great and a max player and the ceiling that the Nuggets had when these guys are together, and the last time they were together, they're in the Western Conference Finals, and I was, I was okay with taking the conservative approach. But it's almost like, you know, and I'm going to make a bad analogy right now, but I'm going to make it anyway. Cover the Denver Broncos for the last six years. This past season in training camp, the, the new coach for the Broncos said, we're going to go conservative, conservative, conservative with it from a health standpoint. And we are going to take it so easy because our health is the most important thing. And, okay, it kind of makes sense when you lay it all out there. But, but when, you, when they got to the season, the team wasn't ready to play. They didn't have the conditioning and the callous to play. So two things happened. One, they weren't performing at a high level because they weren't used to doing it. And they ended up being the most injured team in football ever. Anyway, so it was a horrible parlay of events for the Broncos. It's not a perfect analogy, but I kind of thought about that when I was thinking of Jamal, because you took this such conservative conservative approach in an effort to be your best right now, for like this, this stretch right now, and you're not there. You're not even finishing games. You missed two weeks leading up to the All-Star break. You come out of the All-Star break with the chip on your shoulder and... Uh, Murray has been mostly bad since the All-Star break. Has it all been bad? No. He's a very good NBA player. But the Nuggets are trying to reach greatness. And for them to achieve that, Jamal's going to have to be great. Okay? And when you look at him coming out of the All-Star break, how many times has Jamal Murray, you know, shot 50%? He missed weeks leading up to the All Star break. He comes out against Cleveland. It's six for nineteen for thirty percent. It's three for thirteen against Memphis, twenty three percent. It's eight of twenty two against the Clippers for thirty six percent. Played well against a tanking Rockets team. Give him credit, but eight of nineteen against Memphis. Uh, uh, and played well against Toronto. Give him credit, but four of fifteen against the Bulls. Nine of twenty one against the Spurs. Five of nineteen against. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Guys, on the whole, you're getting like one good night out of every three or four. That's just not going to cut it when you're expecting Jamal Murray or hoping Jamal Murray can be the second best player on a title team. Okay. Don't forget what that looks like. All right. From NBA history. All right. And we've gone through it here on the podcast. We've gone through it. What that? What the profile? The top two stars on a title team looks like. Typically, they're Hall of Famers. Both of them. Both of them. Whether you're talking about um, whether you're talking about um, uh, 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 LeBron and D Wade or D Wade and Shaq or Kobe and Power or, or or Steph and Clay or you know you go down the line over and over and over again throughout NBA history. It's rare anomalies where your second-best player isn't a Hall of Famer. But if he's not, if he's not, and again, we're just reframing a conversation we've already had. If he's not, he's like an all-pro caliber. Here, here's a good example. The Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks are a real title contender okay their second best player is probably drew holiday right now and they got other you know chris middleton former all-star brooke lopez you know is going to be in the running for defensive player of the year drew Holiday's going to make an nba team forget the all-star game he's going to be he's going to make an all nba team okay so if you're not in the Hall of Fame status as your second best player, that's typically what it looks like. So if you're not if you're Kawhi in Toronto, do you have a second Hall of Famer? No, but Kyle Lowry is freaking. He's going to flirt with it, and he's like an All Pro, perennial All Star at that time. Right here, the 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 profile, the top two of Jokic and Jamal, it's a little bit of a departure from the traditional framing of the top two players on a title team. That's okay. If he's 100% healthy and he can catch the groove that he's caught in the past. But if he's not healthy, what are we really talking about? Like you kind of already have to extend your imagination to say, okay, you know, to a certain degree, I'm not you know, crapping on, on Jamal. Here's a really good NBA player. This is why we're talking about it. This is, this is part and parcel why we're having the conversation. Well, you kind of have to use your imagination a little bit like, could Jamal Murray be the second best player on a title team? And you can kind of go there. But if he's not healthy, guys, it's kind of a non-starter in terms of getting to the mountaintop. So this has got to resolve itself because there's another marathon waiting. Okay? You're going to get through the 82-game season, and then the second race starts. And that one, while shorter, it has the intensity of a sprint but still the overarching marathon nature is you you got to beat a team four times in two weeks here then you got to beat another contender four times in two weeks there then you got to beat a real tip top contender four times then in a two week period and then you're going to see the best from the other side and win four times like that's another marathon and i'm deeply concerned that Jamal physically is not going to be up to this task it's nothing that he did and brought on himself Right, I'm not putting fault at, at his feet, but I am acknowledging the very real factors that are right in front of me. Okay, and, and by the way, let, let me let me take it a step further. And a lot of fans aren't going to want to hear this, and, and and just and just let me be um, a little bit a smidgen pessimistic right now, given the three point uh, three game slide and the fact that he's not finishing games. Just let's just go here for a second and not look through everything with the most optimistic lens, okay? Look at the other contenders in the NBA right now and look at their second-best player. Which one, and I just looked at the top one, two, three, four, five, six, I looked at the top seven contenders. I really have to extend my um, extend my thinking to think that like maybe the eighth-best contender could win it all, like the Lakers or something like that, because that's who would be the eighth-next contender. When you look at the Celtics, who's their, who's their best player? Jason Tatum. He's in the MVP conversation, right? He's on a Hall of Fame track. He's already been to the finals, right? He's already a team to, taken a team to the finals. Second best player is Jalen Brown. Like, that's an All-NBA player. That's, that's a perennial All-Star All-NBA player. Who's the Bucks' second best player? Drew Holiday. We already talked about him. You look at the Suns' second best player uh, after Kevin Durant. It's going to be a uh, uh, Devin Booker. Devin Booker is a All NBA player and is on a Hall of Fame track. Um, skip over the Nuggets because they're the fourth fourth most likely team to win it all, according to our friends at Superbook, the proud sponsor of this podcast. You get to Clay in Golden State, Hall of Famer, who is just—I mean—looking at his game against the Suns on, on, on Monday night. Wow, uh, Clay. I mean, he's, he's talking about coming back from injury, Clay Thompson, right? Uh, Coming off a championship, putting up 22 a game or whatever he's putting up. Look at the second-best player in Philly. So you got your MVP candidate who might win it, by the way, and Joel Embiid. We'll get back to that conversation. But it's James Harden who's, you know, scoring the basketball, shooting it, and leading the NBA in assists. Like, you you look at, uh, 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 um, you know, uh, with the Clippers. Is the second-best player Kawhi or is it Paul George? Because Paul George is leading the team and scoring at 24 a game. And we're going through this exercise because – I want to be realistic about where what I'm seeing. I am not seeing a guy in Jamal Murray who looks like the second-best player on a title team first and foremost, but he's also not healthy. And not any one of these other contenders that we just went through, six other contenders in addition to the Denver Nuggets, would trade their second-best player for Jamal Murray. So he has got to get better, all right? he's right? He's got to get better physically, and he needs to start playing better because he's shooting under 40% in the month of March, Okay. And ever since the 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 the, the re-aggravation, um, in early February, all right, as we're now approaching mid March, we're talking about another setback in early Febu- mid February or early February rather um, against Atlanta. I think it was the last time we saw him uh, before after the All Star break on the fourth. He just hasn't looked right. So I am going to be watching this as closely as anything with the Nuggets here moving forward. All right, anything it's 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 it is. Of the utmost importance, okay? Because the rest of the peripheral stuff doesn't even really matter if your blue blood, top-tier, high-end talent is not right at the very top because NBA history says if you don't have that, you don't have a title contender. And that and that's the goal here, right? That's the goal. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is the other big theme here um, taken away from uh, over the weekend. It's something I'll be just hyper-aware of. of of following here moving forward. That Michael Malone outright benched Michael Porter Jr. in Sunday's matinee against Brooklyn. Was Michael Porter Jr. the best version of himself on Sunday afternoon? No, he wasn't. Was he at the top of the list of problems that the Nuggets had on Sunday afternoon? Absolutely not. Michael Porter Jr. was having a fantastic game. He was a plus six with 23 points three offensive rebounds, very active on the offensive glass, four assists, a steal, efficient from the field, efficient from three, perfect from the stripe. Did he have a couple turnovers in the third? Yeah, he did. Did he have a couple defensive lapses? Yeah, join the club. But it feels like Michael Malone is like the teacher who's at the board and the whole class is talking, and she snaps around and goes to her old target because that's the most muscle memory Uh, uh, a friendly target through, you know, the year, or in Michael Porter Jr.'s case, the last couple years. Why he singled him out and solo benched him, I don't know. My only guess is he doesn't trust the guy, and he's got facets to his game that just drive Malone nuts. Why he sees them more clearly and less clearly with a a Bruce Brown, I I don't know. I don't know. But there's been a lot of discord, uh, discourse uh, over this move, and and I just think that Michael Malone uh, did not handle this the right way. I said on the radio show yesterday, I'm almost expecting him after watching the film to come out and flat apologize because it doesn't make sense. And maybe when you're just in that moment, you know you 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 can't see the forest through the trees, and you know Michael Malone has never been the best like in in the exact moment reactor. Um, and I think that when perspective sets in and he watches this film and he and his staff watch this film, I think there's going to be some acknowledgement that he misplayed his hand here, but what, what I'm most concerned of, it's just like all the stuff from the past, just like that creeps back in with the lack of trust. Michael Porter Jr. Has done everything Michael Malone has asked him to do he's not going to become a, just a great defensive player overnight probably never will be all right but michael malone in the last week has just waxed poetic into a microphone publicly how michael porter junior has just and we've talked about it here on the podcast like this guy has turned into like a great teammate plays within the offense doesn't come outside of himself and go into business for himself and he makes all these concessions from a personal standpoint his concessions you're playing for a real contender right so this is what you want to do but He's a young, imperfect player who's trying to fit into this mold of being a contender and playing for Michael Malone, and he's done a great job of it. And his reward was getting his ass benched on Sunday afternoon in front of the home crowd uh, against a team that probably could have used his offense out there to even just cross-cancel what Brooklyn was doing, even if you were going to be, you know, not even an albatross defensively because that puts too much onus on him. But even if he's not a great defender, like, do you need that offense out there? He was 9 for 12, guys. Like, wh- what are we talking about? So I didn't like it. I think it was one of the lower moments of the season for Michael Malone. And I do think maybe even by the time you hear this, it gets addressed uh, before uh, the Toronto game uh, on Tuesday evening. Okay, um, finishing up here. Um, quick thought on the bench. Uh, I'm going to use the phrase deeply disturbed again. Um, this unit has not gotten any better after the trade deadline. Uh, Reggie Jackson has been a shell, uh, of his former self. I've kind of been waiting for him to starting to be comfortable in his own skin. Um, I get it. New situation new-ish new, new new-ish role, new teammates, new coach. That's got to be difficult. But Reggie Jackson's been in the league for over a decade, and I just thought that his maturation process would be just a little bit quicker. He's really struggled. I mean, he has really struggled. Uh, you look at his game log, it's uh, just a real departure of of what we thought uh, we were getting here in Denver. So that's been disappointing. I was a little bit more bullish on the Thomas Bryant signing um, at the trade deadline that has not aged well. He didn't play against Brooklyn. I get it. They don't they don't have a traditional center so the matchup wasn't his, but even beyond that, he's been less than advertised. Um was getting like 10 12 points a game with the Lakers, not even close here uh in Denver. So, I'm I'm concerned about the bench and again, if you just allow me today to just um be a little bit um Looking at the team pragmatically, removing emotion, and just acknowledging some of the stuff that I'm seeing, like Jamal Murray's lack of health is deeply disturbing. Michael Porter Jr. disconnect at this point in his in the season that he's having, in the six weeks on the heels of it, it's kind of you're kind of set back to where you were. Um, that's concerning. The bench continues to be uh, concerning. Um, so these are these are real things that are in front of us, but at the same time. You kind of take a step back. This is what we'll do here. Recenter, okay? You come out and play well in the first round series. We will not be talking about games in in uh, the first and second week of March. But at the same time, we are in the first and second week of March, and this is a three-game losing streak, and you are seeing the severed connection between Jokic's triple-double leading to wins. You are seeing a lackluster bench that could cost you a playoff series. A three-minute stretch can cost you a series. Uh, so I'm not encouraged by what I'm seeing. And then you talk about, again, the, the, the Michael Porter Jr. stuff and the Jamal Murray. Um, you talk about going backwards uh, from a health standpoint. Um, it's concerning. So... Uh, the Nuggets are still in a good position if you just if you want to dwell on the standings but i 'm to the point where 're like okay i need to see I need to be encouraged uh, by some good basketball here, and hopefully that 's what they see the seven The seven game lead in the western Conference uh, has has uh, you know uh, quote unquote dwindled to to four and a half It was a Toronto game last week, and that 's their opponent on Tuesday night that it took everything to beat them. That's their most recent win. Toronto was in major control in huge stretches of that game. That's going to be a quick turnaround to go play in Toronto a little a, a week later. Our friends at Superbook uh, have it as a one-point spread. It's going to be a tough game. Again, one of these longer teams that have caused um, the Nuggets some problems. Then you go to Detroit, to the Knicks, who are much improved since the trade deadline. Uh, the acquisition of Josh Hart has, has been a revelation for that team. Uh, at Brooklyn, who, again, just handed you a loss at home. And then you go to Washington uh, 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 eight days from now. And then guess who greets you after a five-game road trip? It's the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is now the second leader in the clubhouse to win MVP. And you know who's waiting just a couple of days later? It's Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia Sixers in a national TV game. So five-game road trip followed by the Bucks and the 76ers, it could be, if the Nuggets don't uh, figure some of this stuff out, it could be a rough stretch where you may see uh, an overcorrection on the narrative about who the Nuggets are, how believable they are, and Jokic's MVP of uh, MV3 is really up in the air. His odds have dropped. And beads and Giannis' have gone up, rightfully so. They've been great. This is a three-horse race with three great players. All right, don't push these other guys down. These are great players. Um, so we'll see how the next week ages, and we'll see those, those, two, uh, those two games following that five-game road trip. It's going to be a fascinating week and a half uh, as we sprint towards the finish line uh, in the NBA playoffs, where really um, that next marathon begins. So we'll leave it there for now, guys. Uh, Rate five stars if you think we deserve it. Tell a friend about this podcast. It's the best way we can grow this thing is the grassroots way. Uh, Appreciate you being here. And whatever happens on Tuesday, or that's tonight, so whatever happens in Toronto uh, this evening and later on in the week against Detroit, you already know we're going to be talking about it right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.